Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. OSHA cites a poultry company for its role in the death of a 16-year-old. 17 violations, the fine, $213,000. Today on the show, we talk about assaults on transit operators and our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger on Boeing. Welcome to the Tuesday, January 23rd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Alvy Hughes will be our first guest on the show today. Another new guest. We certainly do appreciate that. Alvy is a vice president for the Smart Transportation Division. Now, SMART stands for Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transit. A little background, he was born in 1972 and is a member of Local 1596 in Charlotte, North Carolina. He began his transportation career with Charlotte Transit, now the Charlotte Area Transit System. He also served in the North Carolina Army National Guard from the years 1990 through 1998 as a member of the local Alvy has served as local vice president, secretary of the general committee, and multiple terms as general chairperson of the general committee of adjustment. And I'll explain what that's all about. On October 1st of 2014, the Transportation Division Board of Directors elevated him to the Office of Transportation Division Alternate Vice President. And he was elected to the office of vice president at the second Smart Transportation Division convention that took place in Las Vegas five years ago, August 1st of 2019. What we're basically going to talk about today is the assaults on public transit operators. And this has been going on for years. And during the pandemic, it virtually exploded. I remember talking about this, especially in uh, New York City. And, you know, New York obviously is one of the transit capitals of the world. And uh, people were frustrated. They didn't want to wear masks. And they just, uh, boy, I tell you, the pandemic just brought out a very, very violent nature in so many people. And a number of them have been charged with crimes. And there's a number that got away with it. The Federal Transportation Administration has been addressing this, and that's exactly what uh, Alvy's going to talk about. By the way, SMART represents workers on a number of major regional transit providers. We're talking light and heavy rail carriers in major metro areas across the nation. And rail remains one of the most sustainable and efficient ways of safely transporting travelers to their destination. And national legislation has reaffirmed its key role in going forward as part of the U.S. infrastructure, thus reducing the need for automobiles and easing vehicle traffic in urban areas, places like New York City, like Chicago, like Los Angeles. And I'll tell you, SMART is a very, very diverse union. 
They cover members in architectural sheet metal, HVAC, installation, production, manufacturing. The list goes on and on and on, even roofing and uh, in the shipyards. So Alvy will be our first guest. Then we're going to link up with Tom Buffenbarger, our independent labor voice and a retired general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. And uh, one of the things he's going to talk about, and we're going to spend a whole lot of time, is the crisis at Boeing. And just yesterday, the FAA recommended that airlines operating the Boeing 737-900ER jets inspect their door plugs to ensure that they are properly secured. And this comes after some operators reported unspecified issues with bolts upon inspections. Not good, not good. The uh, regulators have stepped up scrutiny on Boeing after what happened earlier this month. It was on January 5th when there was a mid-air panel blowout on an Alaska Airlines jet. That jet was only eight weeks old, by the way, and it left a gaping hole in the aircraft. Fortunately, no one was injured in that, but my God, talk about some scary moments. Now, Boeing has sought to contain the damage, appointing an independent advisor to examine quality control in its manufacturing processes while a number of planes are grounded. I mean, there's a lot of them that are grounded right now for very good reason, obviously. Now, Tom has a long history with Boeing, and uh, he worked with them many years ago when the operations were much better than they are now. They've had some problems over the years. In fact, some of the pilots have been complaining about some of the computer operations in the uh, the 737s. We'll touch on that as well. And uh, this has also attracted the attention of representatives in Congress J.D. Vance, senator from, from the state of Ohio, has asked the Senate Commerce Committee to schedule a hearing to evaluate incidents involving the 737 MAX, Boeing's engineering and safety standards, and the quality of the oversight provided by the FAA and other government agencies. So we'll touch on that. We also have a new general president with the uh, Machinist Union, and talked about this earlier this month. That's uh, Brian Bryant. He comes from the Bath Ironworks in Maine, the shipyard there. And uh, he recently said, and this is great, I, I tell you, there's a lot of very uh, militant union leaders. Think of uh, Sean O'Brien, Sean Fain, and uh, it, it appears that Brian is in that mold. He uh, recently, when he took uh, office earlier this month, this is what he said, it is time to not just improve the state of working people, but to fundamentally transform the way working people live. We demand not just a seat at the table, but a chance to call the shots. Before uh, Brian and the new executive council can tackle the economic problems of the future facing workers at a whole, they have to tackle the union's future for more than a year. The uh, retired general president, Robert Martinez, and other officers toured the country talking to individual members about what they expect out of the union. The result is a report by the IAM Committee on the Future, and the report has been sent to the council, not released yet. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. So uh, Tom Buffenberger, our independent labor voice, will button up the show as he usually does. 
this time of the month. Now for a look into the world of labor, this segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration has announced that it is planning to fine meat processor Marjack Poultry nearly $213,000 following a teenager's death at the company's Hattiesburg, Mississippi plant last year. We're talking about a 16-year-old boy who was pulled into the rotating shaft of a machine while working on a cleaning crew in the plant's deboning area. This happened on July 14th last year. By the way, the, uh, the, the child would have entered the ninth grade last fall. Investigators found that Marjack failed to follow what are known as lockout-tagout procedures to make sure the dangerous machinery is completely disabled. Now, the company had not used a lockout-tagout device to prevent the machine from unintentionally starting during the cleaning, according to OSHA. Now, a separate investigation is underway by the Labor Department's Wage and Hour Division to determine if Marjack or a subcontractor actually violated child labor regulations. Now, keep in mind, fines at OSHA, they're not very large. The bulk of the fines, and here's the total, it's $212,646 in fines against Marjack. This came from 14 serious safety citations, which were capped at $15,625 apiece last year. OSHA did not identify any willful violations, which are more expensive. Those go up to $156,000 each, but they come with a higher burden of proof. So it's almost like they picked a low-hanging fruit here. The fine amount could ultimately be lowered in a settlement between Marjack and OSHA. And such cases often stay open for years due to litigation and appeals. Marjack is based in Gainesville, Georgia. They did not immediately respond for comment. In a statement several days after the teenager's death, the company pointed a finger at a staffing company, Orin Staffing LLC, which provided workers to clean its plant, saying the boy should not have been hired. This is what the company said. We're devastated at the loss of life and simply regret that an underage individual was hired without our knowledge. Really? By the way, uh, Perez and his family had reportedly emigrated from Guatemala about six years before his death, and one of his greatest accomplishments was buying his own car. That was noted by Kurt Petermeyer, a regional administrator for OSHA. He said in the statement that Marjack is aware of how dangerous its machinery is and failed to take proper precautions. This is what he said. The company's inaction has directly led to this terrible tragedy, which has left so many to mourn this child's preventable death. Peter Meyer noted that Marjack had been cited for another worker's death. This was in 2021 when the worker's shirt sleeve was pulled into the machine. Only about two years later, nothing has changed. And the company continues to treat employee safety as an afterthought, putting its workers at risk, he said. No worker, none, 
should be placed in a preventable, dangerous situation, let alone a child. Mind you, the United States, and we've talked about this on the show several times, and we're going to talk more about it this year, a surge in child labor cases, especially among migrant children who fled Latin American countries and are now working inside meat processing plants and on top of roofs, among other dangerous workplaces. Many companies have tried to blame their subcontractors, just like this case, saying they didn't directly hire the underage workers themselves, kind of insulate themselves, especially when something goes wrong. Marjack previously said that it had relied on staffing companies to provide workers at its facilities due to an unprecedentedly tight labor market. What a story, huh? What a story. And it's sad, too, because you know we have a lot of migrants coming into this country. And you've got a lot of corporations that are eager to hire them, and they don't give a damn about safety. And this is a perfect example of it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Alvy Hughes will be joining us on behalf of the Smart Transportation Division. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at afge.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. 
Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org, for complete updates. All right, let's go to line number one. Welcome a newcomer to the show. His name is Alvy Hughes. Alvy is a vice president with the Smart Union. That's the Sheet Metal Air Rail Transit. And he is the vice president of the Transit Division, which is actually located in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, Independence, Ohio. However, the main office, well, the main office is in Washington. Alvy's based in Charlotte because, well, that's the area he grew up in. Alvy, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today. And I see that... uh, I see that you served in the North Carolina Army National Guard from 1990 to uh, 1998. That had to be an interesting experience for you. But you know what? Let's let's talk about that and more and how you got involved in the uh, the Smart Union. Can we start right there, Alvy? Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, yes, I, I want to thank you for the introduction. I did serve uh, in the North, North Carolina Army National Guard. Started that out when I was kind of young. Um, went from there and then got into the transportation division. Uh, was actually working for uh, Gastonia Area Transit, and they went to Charlotte Transit. And probably been in the industry over probably a couple of decades now. Uh huh. You like what you're doing? Love it, love it. And you know, representing workers each and every day in your watches. We have our transit operators, which are essential workers. I think it's, I mean, it's an important job, but it's something that I love and I cherish each and every day of it. I'm able to do it. Good to hear. Good to hear. Now, the local that you're still a member of is 1596, and that's in Charlotte, North Carolina. Give me a little background on the local. How many uh, brothers and sisters there, and how we doing down there? Yeah, so Charlotte, North Carolina, we actually represent the bus operation division. And that's actually all the bus operators and the actually the maintenance operators. So it started off at, at seventeen of uh, seventeen fifteen. So it was all one local at one point of time, and then we kind of merged out. The maintenance went off to one local, which is fifteen ninety six, and then the drivers was uh, state ended up being seventeen fifteen. Uh, so it we're probably about a little bit. We represent over about five, six hundred operators and maintenance workers there, and we are going strong in a right to work state. Okay, yeah, boy, it is a there's a lot of them down there. There's yeah. no doubt about yes, that. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is a challenge, and I'll tell you, labor's fired up as you know. And uh, I was just talking earlier about the the auto workers, uh, the the militancy of some of the union leaders today, and they're going after those non union plants down there. So we wish them well. We wish them. We, we know it's it's not going to be an easy battle, especially in those right to work states like uh, like Mississippi, Alabama's seen a lot of union activity, and North Carolina sure. compared to the others, you're not too bad, not too bad, not too bad at all. But uh, let, we're hanging in there. Yeah, exactly. That's what you got to do. <laughs> So talk to me, you're up, you've been vice president for a number of years now, and what has come under a lot of, um, under a lot of scrutiny right now is the, uh, is what's happening with, with transit operators, whether it's a subway or a bus. I think the pandemic 
really cast a light on this because everybody was a bit, well, no, uh, they were unnerved. They had to wear masks on trains and buses. They didn't like that. So they took it out on the drivers. And we saw a record amount of assaults here, people being charged, many of them really not being charged. It's sad to see what happened here over the years. But where are we right now? I'm sure you've been collecting a lot of data on this over the years. Alvy, you can pick it up from there. Yeah, yeah. So right now, it's you, you, I think you hit hit it on a point. Uh, I think the pandemic started off with you have a lot of you know assaults. People were kind of upset, kind of getting back out of the house, and you know, and then the operators, our operators, transit operators are tra- taking that abuse. Okay, so uh, you know whether they upset because of you know, uh, you know maybe manpower they didn't have or the routes late because enough people come to work, you know, and, and understand during this point of time when we didn't know anything about COVID, uh, a lot of people were scared, especially the operators. You didn't know, we didn't know what to expect. So, you know, then the assaults come and, you know, and it has been numerous assaults across the country and, and enough is enough. We have seen this probably for the last four or five years assaults, but it has increased. And, and I think the pandemic, you know, uh, we've seen a massive amount of shots, assaults, not in with our local representatives and, and members that we represent, but, you know, in other organizations and nationwide. So, Alvy, when this started happening, what was the reaction with the union here? I mean, we're, we're, obviously they were reaching out to the authorities here to do something about it, maybe get added security. What what was the game plan back then? I think that was, I mean, as security as one. I mean, you want to make sure that all operators are protected, so... You know, we first started off with, okay, you know, during a pandemic, make sure they had the PPE. And then we wanted, you know, we, we noticed that, you know, uh, a lot of our transit buses do not have barriers. So they were kind of exposed to the public. So what, what we did is we went to a lot of agencies and sat there and said, hey, we need to do a better, better job of protecting our, your employees and our members by putting barriers up or, you know, and even other safety measures. Uh, You know, when we talk about how the assaults have created, I think it was, you know, one of the main things is, you know, we have, you went in increased in security. Um, When I say increasing in security, uh, reaction times, making sure that someone is there when, whenever any drivers are, are assaulted, you know, we have a good reaction time. And also, we have to look at how this is, you know, the assaults are happening to the point of what do they do? Do we have a procedure in place? Uh, do they have panic buttons? So when I say panic buttons, it's more of, you know, whenever something happens, you know, you want to hit, hit a panic button and sit there and say, okay, I need some help here and there. So we have been looking at all these things. We've been addressing this with actually different agencies that we represent. And two, we are actually going a little bit farther and beyond with smart transportation. We have created our own committee to try to address these assaults, which is our BTAPS committee, uh, which is Bus Transit Assault Prevention and Safety Committee, to, you know, hammer down our legislation because these assaults are happening each and every day. And... It's more assaults, and, and, and the, the penalties is basically a lot of times it's, it's, it's a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. So you want to maybe change the uh, the laws on that, turn them into a felony? 
Yes, that's, I think that's one thing. I think we do need a harsher law. So we need a harsher laws to make sure that they are basically uh, they're not repeat things. Uh, we also need to the point of you know deal with local legislators uh, to the, making sure that they are understanding the problem, what we need to do, uh, and two, I think that a, a collaboration with local legislators and, and the federal federal government, even law enforcement, everybody needs to be a part of this because the transit operators basically are based, the transit system, I would say, with the operators, are the artery of this country and is the artery in a lot of cities. Sure. Uh, that's how people get back and forth to work. That's how people actually have, uh, you know, get to their doctors or they, they get to the grocery stores. So this is a the transit. We are part of transit workers are a part of the economy, and oh, when that when that happens and it's a break and break, uh, it affects all of us. Where are we with the assaults right now? Because I know they exploded during the pandemic. Have they calmed down to to some degree? I don't know if you if you keep any data on this. I'm I'm sure the uh, the uh, various agencies are probably looking into this. What what do we know from the Smart Union right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I mean, that's uh, the SALT data. It's a good thing that a Biden uh, general directive, and then it came out that we are trying, an FTA is kind of collecting data now on assaults. Now, have they, this data has been collected before in the past, but it's only when it was a physical assault, which is someone where they hospitalized or, uh, you know, had some, some type of bodily injuries, but if someone was spat on, then that was not collected. So now it's, it's a good thing that all this data is collected and now it's, we are be able, gonna be able to see um, what's going on from, from one country or one area to another area. And even to in certain cities is to the point of collecting this data is like, okay, do we have routes that are more, uh, we have more issues or assaults going on, on on one route than other routes. We can be able to see this with this, this data that's being collected with the FTA. Uh, only thing that I kind of uh, hopefully, uh, you know, maybe worry about or maybe sit there and have concerns is to the point that make sure this is transparent. Make sure that we understand that we can see that, okay, this is what happened here and happened there, or making sure our, every agency is, is reporting this as it should be, you know, to the FTA. Alvy, did I hear this correctly? You mentioned, say, if somebody on the bus or transit spit spits on the operator, that that's not collected. I mean, is that where they draw the line? If if you punch them, then it's a different story. Is that what happens? Yeah. So in the past, that's how uh, everything was. You know, it, it had to be a physical uh, harm to someone. So someone has to be uh, maybe assaulted, and maybe you know, uh, you know, the medic is called, and uh, something, something to that nature. Uh, yeah. So, and, and so, yes. And now we can actually, if you are spat on, then that's recorded. In the past, it wasn't recorded, or even, I mean, even to the point that it's physical. So sometimes it's physical. I mean, a mental, not so much as physical, mental abuse. Uh, that right now is kind of is, is collected more than it has been in the, in the past. And so we're looking forward to that, and we're looking forward to seeing how this. This data is coming back and, you know, and 
and what what can you know how that has this new data is going to uh, see see the change between this new data and old data. You know, I tell you, this conversation just baffles me. I, I scratch my head and I just wonder what has happened to respect in this country for workers. And I'll tell you, it's it's not good. It's not good. No doubt about that. Alvy Hughes joining us on our live line today. He's vice president of the Smart Transportation Division. Smart-Union.org is the national website. We'll continue with him. Our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger, will be talking about Boeing and their problems later in the show. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a Local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to our live line. We're talking about uh, operator assaults on buses and transit in the country. A lot of this exploded during the pandemic. Alvy Hughes joining us from uh, Charlotte. That's where he's based, and he is vice president of the Smart Transportation Division. Smart stands for Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transit. Smart-Union.org is a national website. You get a lot of information on this very diverse union. But today we're talking about uh, bus operators, subway operators, and how they're being treated on the job, and it is not good. Now, you were telling me in the first segment, that they put up a lot of barriers. And I was just wondering how effective those barriers have been. And you also mentioned like panic buttons. I'm just wondering where the panic button, where, what that, does that connect with a local uh, law enforcement authority? What's, uh, where, where do we stand on these issues to protect those, uh, those drivers right now, Alvy? 
Yeah, so when you, when we talk about barriers, barriers are something that most transit buses comes with. Uh, most of them are half partition barriers. We are seeing and we're requesting in a lot of areas, requesting the full partition barriers. Now, the half partition barriers has always been something that you've been using for safety, but sometimes when you have passengers that are getting in some type of conversation with the operator, they are actually looking at that and reaching around those barriers. Uh, so we are, you know, so now transitions are coming with the full barriers. Uh, only issue with that full barrier is uh, thing is that sometimes depends on where you're at in the geographic of your where you, in the country where you're at. That right side is creating some type of glare. So we're working. Different agencies are working, and we definitely want to work with the bus company, bus companies to try to have some type of barriers that you don't have a glare. But that's part of a protective, uh, protecting that operator. Now, when we when you're mentioning a panic button, a panic button, a lot of what we we call it, a, I call it a panic button. It's a button that you can uh, operator can hit, and 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 instantly it will call any any you know the the police. And then two, a lot of buses have it for the outside sign that will say 911, basically to you know call for help. Because if you are, if a driver is in the middle or they're driving a bus and a passenger is trying to assault them or having some type of issue, it's kind of hard to pick up a phone or pick up a radio and call and, and say, hey, I'm talking and this person is right there in front of you or right behind you on the side of you. So it, you know, that panic button is kind of panic button help protects the operator, so they don't have to, you know, be in in a situation that they're, you know, trying to call uh, some type of authority in front of anyone that's trying to assault them. Mm-hmm. Alvy, it's good to hear that uh, they're doing their best to protect the drivers. Let me ask you this: How are the drivers reacting to this? Do they feel? that they're getting what they need to do their job in a safe manner? Is that happening? And also, I was going to ask you, uh, how are we doing with uh, with hiring more? I, I know there's been a shortage of people for the very reason we're talking about right now. It's become a dangerous job. How are we looking in those two arenas, Alvy? Right. So are the drivers, do they feel that they're being, being protected? And I've talked to drivers, uh, you know, around the country all the time and the answer is no they feel like they feel scared they feel like they, you know that sometimes it's nothing that's not been done uh things have not been done enough to make sure that they are can do their job properly uh, they are they're basically trying to make a living like everyone else and and being out here and, and you know sometimes you have the issue of the assaults with as a mental or uh you know sometimes lack of security or you know and, and then fares you know, some, some, you know, the passengers have a problem with the fare. So they, we do need help. I mean, and the operators, even once they do get, get that help or if they have been in a situation they've been assaulted, uh, you need, we need other help too. Sometimes it's, it's counseling afterwards. I mean, I've had drivers calling me all the time, you know, crying about situations that may happen to them. So we have to do a better job uh, with, protecting the operator and again you mentioned the Biden administration and directive that helps out uh, to try to put some teeth behind what we've been saying for years what needs to be done to better protect our transit operators 
Now, is this going to become a money issue here? And I, I know under the current administration, they've really done a lot for mass transit. They really have done a lot. I'm just wondering, what are you hearing? I mean, you're in the middle of things right now, being a vice president at the Smart Union Transportation Division. What do you see down the road here? Yeah, I mean, I, of course. I mean, I think it's. I mean, I think we can do this smartly, and I think it's first thing is to trying to adapt a plan. Um, you know, it, it is some funds. I do think that the transit systems is not probably special with security. It's not funded enough. Uh, I think we whether you have a private private police service, or transit police, or you know, or even just the local law enforcement. But it needs to be a step up. Uh, we need to do a better job. Uh, I mean, you. We used to. I remember when I know some transit buses have a have a sign on there. It says uh, a safe place, and that was for you know, anyone that was in danger to the point whether it was a regular citizen or you know or, or even kids, you know, children. If they had any any problem that was out there, you know, you go to a bus a safe place. I remember that was it was a school. They always sit there and. Uh, the teachers say, "Hey, you are you having an issue and you have a, a problem? Go to a safe place. Go to a bus. It's a safe place." And we got to get back to that point of making the bus a safe place again. Do Do you feel you're getting the help to get to that safe place right now, Alvy? Well, I, I think that we. Uh, I think this Biden administration directive is 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 key to getting to that point. Now, I, I know it, it's one of the key things that this. Uh, directive uh, captures it was the security training and the legislative role of it uh, when we talk about security is you know we got to make sure that you know we have enhanced the response time that we you know we kind of talked about and and making sure that when they have problems we have an authorities there uh, surveillance cameras making sure making seeing when that when it does happen and we're looking at these cameras and we're making sure that uh, you know, that whoever the person is that uh, causing the assault or, you know, is getting off the bus. So we, so that, and they even use it as a deterrent as, as, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, we bought the talk about the panic button. Uh, and then we, you know, doing that talk about training, even to the simple thing of self-defense for operators. Maybe we need to look into that. The escalation training, uh, you know, so those are, are, are some things that we need to do. And then we, when you talk about the legislative role, we need to look at the local legislative, but we need to make assaults on a driver a felony. Uh, I mean, I, and any operator, transit operator, should be a felony. Uh, we need to look at that role. And I think a collaborative effort together. So I think it's a start. I, I'm, we, I am excited to see how this will go, you know, these directives that the Biden administration have actually laid out and and every agency has to follow by. Uh, you know, part of this is having a labor management. Basically, this is something that labor and management was set down and tried to come to a means or trying to come with situations from both sides to say, okay, this is what we need to do in this area for this agency to make sure that every employee and our members are safe. There you go. This is what we need to do, and this is when we're going to do it. <laughs> okay, let's let's yeah, let's go in that direction. Go. Okay, brother, Alvy Hughes joining us in our live line today, Vice President of the Smart Transportation Division. 
National website, smart-union.org. There's a good group. They're a part of the uh, Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Please stay in touch with us on this. I mean, we got to protect the people that are driving those trains and buses and the people in there. And uh, we, we really have to address this issue. So it sounds like you're on top of it. And this, uh, this show's open to you, brother. Anytime. Anytime, okay? Thank you. Give us a call. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger, will be joining us. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit visit bacweb.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to line number two. Welcome a longtime contributor to America's workforce. First, on behalf of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, where he served many, many years, almost 20 years as a general president. That'd be Tommy Buffenbarger, and he's now our independent labor voice. And we're going to talk about Boeing, but I was talking off the air here. You got some information on uh, the rail industry, which is not good. In fact, uh, we're coming up to the anniversary of the toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. Tommy, what are you hearing about well, I should say the lack of safety on the rails. What's going on? 
Well, flash timing on this subject could not be more, I guess, coincidental, we'll say. Uh, the rail carriers, the freight rail carriers, are petitioning uh, the Federal uh, uh, Railway Administration to allow them to dispense with, delay, put off, safety inspections on locomotives saying that they're too frequent they don't need to be that long etc etc right now given the state of the rail infrastructure and the accidents that have occurred that have been terrible for the communities that have uh, had these accidents why would we even think about delaying or putting off or doing away with safety inspections on railway equipment, rolling stock. I cannot fathom this. And this is, this is where the government needs to really get serious now and crack down on the different agencies' ability to waive rules without public hearings, to allow companies to dispense with the issue of safety if it were a nuisance. And that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping uh, we've got two senators in Ohio that seem to be interested in rail safety, that's our Sherrod Brown, who does a fantastic job, and J.D. Vance, who uh, talks the story. Now let's see if he'll act on it. They need to look into this, call the uh, Railway Administration in for a hearing on this, and ask them what the heck is going on. Yeah, yeah. Because well, I know uh, the people in East Palestine wouldn't appreciate hearing this news. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, Vance and Brown, uh, they're authors of legislation that would uh, really, you know, call for more safety protocols on rails. But it hasn't gone anywhere. So it hasn't gone anywhere yet. And uh, we'll talk more about that. We, uh, we lined up an interview with Eddie Hall. He's the new guy at the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, and we're going to air that a little bit later in the month or a couple days before that anniversary at East Palestine. But let's switch gears here. I want to talk about Boeing. And, and when you were head of the Machinist Union, you dealt with Boeing a long time. And maybe you can give us a little historical perspective because, you know, in a nutshell, the corporations of today – are not the corporations of yesterday. Granted, everything changes. And sadly, sadly, they have not changed for the better. I mean, everything seems to be controlled by money managers on Wall Street. You talk about safety protocol. Well, you know what? Safety, there's a cost to that. So let's just take that out of the equation. What's going on with Boeing? Because a number of the jets are grounded right now. I'm sure you got some insight on this, Tommy. Go ahead. Yeah, the uh, Flash Boeing is a sad situation today. This is a great company and a, a historical American manufacturing company. It was world-renowned for its engineering prowess and its expertise in building, you know, airplanes that carry human lives at 30, 40, 50,000 feet. And... This is what's happening now is uh, is an indicator of, as you put it, what's happened to so many other companies. There's no Boeing people running Boeing anymore. 
The people who sit on the board of directors know little or next to nothing about how an airplane gets built. They only look at the bottom line, so at the end of the day, they can line their pockets with all the great uh, profits that are coming in. They line their pockets at the expense of the employees and the flying public. And we've just seen it happen again. This all began, Boeing's decline began with the merger of McDonnell Douglas and the Boeing Corporation. And that's when the Boeing people who ostensibly took over or bought McDonnell Douglas that was starting to to founder, but the McDonnell Douglas management team kind of took over management of the combined company. And all these managers, these guys who rose to the top of Boeing, are all ex-General Electric Jack Welch acolytes. They were all trained by Jack Welch. And I can give you the names. You, he, They just go on and on. Even today, the current chairman comes from General Electric. And he's a chairman who is absentee from where they build the airplanes. He lives in, I believe, New Hampshire. He flies back and forth between their new corporate offices in Washington, D.C., Arlington, Virginia. And the planes are made in Seattle, Washington. Nobody's paying attention to what's going out there. And the Boeing company is now showing the signs of what happens when you have absentee management, absentee communications with the workforce. And this workforce has been raising hell about what's going on on the factory floor, and nobody listens to them. Well, when planes start dropping parts from the sky or the planes fall out of the sky, somebody needs to wake up. Yep. In the wake-up process, we find that the Federal Aviation Administration in the past, I'm not saying they're doing it right now, but they've given Boeing tremendous leeway on inspecting their own products. So there's no um, independent verification, or very little of it, that goes on. And so companies, in their never-ending quest to line their pockets, will skip steps, take shortcuts where they should not do it, safety being that, that item. And so there's got to be a real shakeup at the Boeing company from the top. They need to put some people who understand the sensitivity and the importance, the integrity of putting together a safe airplane. And uh, that can't come soon enough. Boeing has a major contract coming up this year with the Machinist Union. And uh, I have a feeling these kinds of issues may find their way into some discussion at the bargaining table. The company needs to start listening to the members of the machinist again and find out where the best approaches to building a safe aircraft can come in. And it might take a little bit of investment of their big profits to build the new things necessary 
to assure safe aircraft. The flying public deserves it. The investors deserve it. And uh, Boeing needs to go back to being an engineering company again. Yeah. And uh, people, I think, would be very pleased at what kind of products they can put out there. Tom, here's a, here's a part that kind of concerns me. I'd like to get your take on it. I was reading earlier that Boeing, Boeing appointed an independent advisor to examine quality control in its manufacturing processes. What, what's your take on that? I guess it depends who the advisor is, right? Yeah, it depends on the advisor, and that's an embarrassment when you think about it, that they would think to do that and not have the confidence in their own abilities to figure out how to produce a safe airplane, you're going to bring in, think about it. And I'm not opposed to it, Flash, but think about it. You're bringing in another outside person uh-huh. to review everything. So this, this, there's something missing here. But that move is the typical GE way of addressing a problem. And let's think about this. We're looking at Boeing today, talking about the issues it have, and it's all run by ex-GE executives, who now the only part, they were so successful at GE, the last remaining part of GE is the aviation division headquartered in Cincinnati. All that that moniker stood for for over a hundred years you know we bring good things to life you know uh all of that the the company that could deliver on appliances locomotives jet engines medical high-tech medical equipment light bulbs all that is now gone yep yeah, they farmed all that out. It's, it's and a so, totally, well, now we're totally stuck with the company. same guys moved over to Boeing, and that's what worries me about Boeing. Well, we'll keep our eye on this one. I know the uh, the FAA has made some recommendations on this, and hopefully uh, they'll come to some resolve on it. But I, I was always good to get your perspective on this because you know the company, you know how the company changed over the years. Boy, the the, the takeaway from this interview. Talk to the workers. Talk to the workers. Okay. All right, brother. You take care. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next month, okay? Okay. Best to you and the listeners, Flash. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Heat and Frost Insulators and the United Faculty at Illinois. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.